today um, we're going to hear updates from our elders. We believe it's important that you guys get to know the elders as well. So I guess um, Pac has been one who has kind of had, he's been up front recently, but you get to hear from two other elders who um, are usually not up front at all. So Johnny and Stu, they've been up front, and uh, Pac has been up front, but today we get to hear from Eric and Bob. So, uh, and I'm sure we're going to get to hear one of Bob's laughs, you know. If we don't hear Bob laughing today, then it might be a bad day. So uh, we're going to start, um, we're going to start with Bob, and then we're going to go to Eric, and then Jonathan. And I think it's alphabetical order, so uh, Bob, you can't blame me. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pray for Bob, and then we're going get, to get started. Father, we thank you for our elders. We thank you for our leadership team in this church. I pray that um, for those who don't get up front very often, that you would calm their nerves, allow them to preach and share your truth, Father. Share your word. And not only be people who can share the word, Father, but may we be people that apply the word as well. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, feet that want to run with obedience, hearts with fertile soil, Father, and minds that can comprehend your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my, uh, my wife says that I have selective hearing, and as I'm getting older, I'm also getting poor hearing, so I'm learning how to use that to my advantage. But Rob, I, had a, I, I heard you talk about a, a cakewalk, and then I heard a treat walk, and you know, this is exciting to me. I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm picturing a rainbow and a big bowl of ice cream at the end. <laughs> So I'm not sure what a what a cakewalk is. This this is not it. <sighs> um, so uh, Joey asked us to talk about what God has been teaching us, talking to us about, and so I figure this is going to be really short and easy because we're in church and when we're surrounded by Christians, and so. My question is, you know, do, do you all understand all there is to know about God? And do you have God all figured out? Nobody? Well, good, because I don't either. So I don't feel quite so, quite so bad there. <clears throat> but God, God is so big and so awesome that we can't we just can't wrap I can't wrap my mind about it but we we try to divide God up into different sections so that we can try to understand different parts of God so one part of God is God the creator the alpha and the omega forever God always was and always will be that everything I know has a beginning and an end I can't possibly understand what no beginning is it takes faith to believe that i don't know how to, how to believe that 
What did God do before he creation? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. I guess we'll find out when we get there, maybe. But God is so powerful that when he speaks, things are created. Things happen. As human beings, we've come pretty, become pretty smart, and we can, we can take pieces, parts, and we can change them, and we can manipulate them, and we can put things together, and we can make new stuff. But we can't create something from nothing. And God can do that with just his word. His word creates out of nothing. That's another thing I just can't, I can't possibly understand. But one area that God, we can get an idea of God is God the Father. That, I think, is such a beautiful picture of who God is um, as a father because we all know what fathers are. Um, I'm a son, I'm a father, and now I'm a grandfather. Um, so I've got a little bit of experiences in the fatherhood area. And so I like God the Father. That's, that's a good picture. Um, a father always loves unconditionally. Um, as a father, when my kids would uh, act up, you know, I still always loved my children. And uh, there's nothing that they could do that would destroy that love. I would get upset and I'd have to discipline, but I would always love. Um, a good father gives direction, instruction, wisdom, life lessons, praise that his children remember and obey all that they are taught. <laughs> As a boy, I can often, often felt like my dad would set me up for failure just to teach me a lesson. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it felt like it sometimes. Um, as a father, I've tried very hard to always protect my children, um, keep them safe. Um, but you also have to know when to allow them to make a decision. And even though you, you can see that this may not turn out real well, you've got to let them go through with it so that they can learn from their decisions and their consequences. Yeah, and I think God, God's a very good picture of what God does as well. Is he, he gives us free choice. Um, and so it's our, we, we have the opportunity to choose him or to not choose him. And he will, will never take that choice away from you. He will always allow you to have that choice. God has given us his word, the Bible, has been passed down from many, many generations, many different authors. And he has preserved that and put that together as a, as a document, as a book that we can read, we hold. It's, it's so precious that we have the holy, the word of God that we can, we can read. And that tells us God's heart. There's, there's history, there's lessons, there's stories, but I think the majority of the Bible is God's heart. Um, who God is and how we can relate to him and how he wants so much to relate to us. Um, another thing to always remember that no matter what you are going through, God is always truth, love, steadfast, and righteous. And he will always walk through you or through your sin with you. 
God does not tempt. Um, but God does allow us to make poor decisions. Um, but then he will walk through those with us. Especially for believers. Once you become a believer and you give your heart to Jesus and Jesus lives within you, I think that Jesus fights even harder to keep you accountable and keep you in the flock and in the fold and to keep your name in the book of life. Um, there's, <clears throat> there's, somebody, there's somebody out there that, that really, I hope, I feel it needs to hear this, that, that no matter what you have done, no matter what you're going through, God loves you. We love you as a church. Um, and, and we want to, God, God will never leave you or forsake you. Um, sometimes there, there's consequences for our actions that we have to go through, both in this world and also spiritual. But, yeah, God will never forsake or abandon you may forsake and abandon him but he will not forsake and abandon you and he will fight to the bitter end to get you back um, God will Jesus will leave the 99 to go after the one lost soul and he will allow the uh, he will give the flesh to Satan to save the soul so to me that is good news. Sounds rough and I, I apologize that this sounds bad, but it's really good. It's really good news. It's beautiful news that God loves us so much that no matter what we do, he will always follow us. He will always seek us out and he will always bring us home. Thanks. Now we'll have Eric come up and then Jonathan, so. You had me worried there for a minute, Bob. I thought you was going to preach everything I was going to tell you about. No, um, so as uh, Joey asked us to talk about what we've been learning um first thing to come to me is that um being called into a position of elder um really weighed heavy on me for um as i studied into what you know what's required or what's asked um uh, accountability um was one thing one key word anyway and So as I read into that, uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, gives him a list of qualifications that he must be noble, above reproach, sober, self-controlled, respectable, kind, able to teach, gentle and not quarrelsome, and uh, and then he holds them accountable to that, and you know the 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 other elders. We'll do that too. Um, so, 
you know, as leaders amongst, amongst you, we're accountable to each other. We're accountable amongst ourselves. Um, and I want to encourage each of you, if you don't have a fellow believer that you're accountable to, that you're uh, running a great risk of, of being tempted by Satan. He can, if you're sitting out there all by yourself and you think, well, I'm accountable to God, uh, you are accountable to God, but if you, uh, if you don't have your peers to help you see what you're not seeing, you're at great risk. Um, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, "Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another." And uh, one thing that stood out to me recently in the recent past, uh, an example of the need for accountability. This was at work, but um, you know, when you have several people working on a project and and they don't have any accountability to one another, things fall apart pretty quickly. You know, one person's off working on their part, kind of doing their own thing without regard to how it affects, you know, the rest of the group. And uh, they're doing what's easiest and most convenient for their own self. And then uh, tempers flare and choice words are thrown around and and everyone begins to grumble and complain. And contrast to that with having a well-planned, you know, means of communicating to each other, and uh, holding each other accountable for what you said you were going to do, that it gets done, and it did done in a timely manner. And then uh, then you can have peace and, and happiness, and you get a whole lot more work done. Um, another way we're accountable with the talents and positions that that we're placed in. Um, Jesus tells a parable of a master who goes away on a long journey and he divvies up some of his, the goods or provisions that he has and he, he gives them to his servants to oversee and then when he comes, comes back, he wants to, they all have to give an account for what they've done with what they've been given. Have they been faithful? Um, the words that we say, very important um, Matthew 26 or Matthew 12 36 37 says we have to give an account for every word that we speak in our society today um, political unrest the division everywhere um, almost any subject has violent or you know drastic division and viewpoints uh, do the words of, that we speak, do we speak life into those that we meet, those subjects? Um, do we speak death? Are we sharing the love of Christ with everyone that we meet? If we're born of the Spirit, then we will speak life. Romans 8 1 to 11, I'll just read the whole thing because it's kind of stood out to me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. But if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raises Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And uh, I was just thinking about just today here as Bob was talking to you about the accountability we have one to another to to see that we are being filled with the spirit that we're not falling into the temptation to you know dwell on things of the flesh and that shows up in our actions and our thoughts shows up in the words that we speak how we react to things that we don't don't agree with politically or you know whether our day goes well um the other thing that stood out to me, um, keep in mind that when you feel confronted or tempted to speak harshly against someone or something, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians six twelve, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're not fighting against people. Um, we're fighting against Satan and his plan to overtake us to tempt us, to turn away from God. And so the people we're against, or it's not the people we're against, it's the powers of darkness and Satan's plan to draw us out and enslave us. When you pray for your leaders and the government, especially, especially if you don't agree with them, pray for their salvation, not not their destruction. And lastly, um, be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within you. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that lies in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Still trying not to think about the cake that you guys keep talking about. Try to focus here. All right. Um, I want to start my brief time up here just telling you a little bit about myself, uh, how I got to be where I am today, and um, the reason why I think 2020 is an exciting year. What? Uh, so I'll get to that. When Joey challenged us last year, 
I think it was a year ago. It was right before we, we studied James, which seems like a year ago. Uh, we were in Romans, right? We, we talked about Paul's testimony, uh, the three-minute three testimony, and uh, Joey was challenging us to all come up with that on our own. Uh, three parts, right? So what was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what's your life been like since meeting Jesus? And uh, I've had a really hard time with that, uh, especially that first part. You know, what, what's your life like before Jesus? And I was, I was a kid, so, um, you know, I stopped right there and I'm stuck. I think I was probably obsessed with my Atari and uh, maybe I stole cookies out of the kitchen knowing I wasn't supposed to. I don't, I don't know. And uh, so <laughs> I, I don't have this amazing story that others have, you know, like he was such a terrible person and he met Jesus and then boom, he's, he's, his life has changed, you know, and those, those, those testimonies are great. They're needed. They're inspiring. We, we need those. Um, but it doesn't make my testimony any less credible, right? Uh, you know, the, uh, I was a, saved and baptized at a pretty young age. Uh, I went to Sunday school. I even uh, won an award for saying all 66 books of the Bible the fastest, right? Street cred. Yeah. I think we should do that in here, actually, as adults. That'd be, that'd be great. So when, when Joey's up here and he, he mentions, like, Zephaniah chapter 2, we hear some frantic page flipping, and we, we get to it before the tech booth puts it on the screen, right? That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, so anyways, moving on. Being raised in a Christian home doesn't mean uh, your testimony doesn't count for much. Um, I think uh, in our playroom, we have a scripture on the wall that my wife put up there. It's, it's Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's great, um, but like most other wisdom literature, it's, it's, a, it's a wise saying that's generally true, right? Uh, and by generally, I mean that it's not always going to happen. You, you raise up a Christian kid, and, and they might depart from the path. Uh, the hope, though, is that it's not as long in duration off that path and not as far off the path. So parents of teenagers, uh, keep, keep the faith, keep hope. <laughs> um, so that's where I put the focus of my testimony. Even, even folks who call themselves Christians are going to stray off the path. They're going to have low points and struggles. And um, I think about my later teens and early 20s. That's when we're all doing stupid stuff, right? Uh, and my, my entire focus was the pursuit of the American dream. You know, where, what, can I, what can I do to be, and I tell people, I was going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. I don't know if you can tell, it didn't happen. You know, I'm 10 years beyond that goal, goal line. And, uh, you know, it's a nice shirt, but it's probably got some stains on it. But uh, anyways, what's crazy about people that graduated um, from university, people my age, we graduated from university around the time of the Great Recession, 2008. So right away we're getting out in the workforce, and it's, it's pretty tough. Um, you know, I was a newlywed. We had kids soon after that. And so... Uh, you know, I, I, I remember that time frame. I've, I spent so much time reading about John McCain and Barack Obama, you know, 2008 elections. And uh, I, I, I probably read more about them. I know for a fact I read more about them than I did about our God. So this might be a surprise to you, but even though I read so much about them, I really have no relationship with them, right? And so I know a lot of facts about them, but I, they don't know me. I don't know them. Uh, whatsoever. So you know where I'm going with that, right? The, the life of a Christian, me, without any spiritual disciplines whatsoever, means that um, 
you know, when things are tough, I, I might pray, but I don't have good practices of, of what this Christian walk should be. I don't have a practice of trusting God when things are good or when they're bad, right? And so um, here's what I can say about finding Jesus is I've always had Jesus, but there's been a number of years, you know, especially those late teens, early 20s, where he's really low on the priority list, right? So finding Jesus again as a mature adult is incredible. And, you know, you might not see it in somebody. You might not see, like, he was a terrible person, now he's great, because he found Jesus. But inside, there is that transformation, you know. It isn't, it's incredible. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, making Jesus a priority and developing some spiritual disciplines and drawing closer to God and learning to trust him is, is incredible. So back to what I said about 2020 being an exciting year, it's all the things that's happened this year has given me an opportunity to practice what we preach, right? We've got to rely on God. We always say it, but then when things get tough, do we actually do it? You know, the interesting thing about the Bible is reading through the number of times God's people ended up in the desert rather than the luscious green land of Egypt or somewhere like that, right? we got story after story of that. Um, one of them, Genesis 12, verse 10 through 13. I'll read that real quick. Uh, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So this is a pretty good plan, right? I mean, Sarah is 65 years old, but she looks good. So we're going we're gonna to have some gentlemen coming up wanting to court her, and uh, they'll start throwing livestock at us and, and uh, servants and things, so we can you know, maybe keep that plan up for a while and then skedaddle on out of here and, and take care of a lot and the rest of the family we left back at the camp. So, good plan, except it doesn't work, right? Pharaoh sees Sarai, and she's good-looking, and Pharaoh gets what he wants, right? He doesn't have to go through that courting process. So, what's God got to do? He's got to send in some diseases over Pharaoh and his household to get Sarai and, Egypt, out of, and Abram out of Egypt. And, uh, you know, there's so many false idols and gods in Egypt, which is why he wasn't, doesn't want his people to go there. But he's, he's trying to teach them to rely on him. He's trying to raise up a, a group of people, the patriarchs in the beginning there, that are going to trust God in the good and the bad. And, uh, you know, Abraham's son, Isaac, goes through a similar thing in Genesis 26. This time God's going to be a little more blunt. So there was a famine in the land beside the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went up to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. So this guy, this time God is way more blunt, just straight up, don't go down to Egypt, right? I'll take care of you. Just obey me. Trust me. You know, I'm sure his dad told him about the story of the time when he went to Egypt and things didn't work out, but God's not going to rely on Isaac remembering that. He's just going to be straight up and say, don't go. Um, so Isaac does trust in God. He stays in Gerar, but he still messes up just like his dad did and ends up telling the people there that his good-looking wife, Rebecca, is his sister. And Anyways, you know, God told you he was going to take care of you and he was going to bless you, right? And you listened to part of it, but you still didn't trust him. 
And uh, why do you keep trying to take things in your own hands, you know? Wait, that kind of sounds familiar, right? We see this repeated numerous times in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. God's teaching his people to trust in him, trust what he's doing, uh, especially, you know, when we get to Exodus and we see Moses come along and Israelites are in, in Egypt in 400 years of captivity, right? It's a long time. That's a, that's a lot of generations that don't know anything different by the time Moses comes along and he plucks them up out of Egypt and, and uh, all these crazy things happen in the desert. But we look at it from our perspective and we're like, well, God keeps showing up. Why do these people not trust him, you know? And these Israelites, all they do is whine all the time, you know? But I get it from when I think about it, you know, that's all they ever knew was, yeah, we were slaves and thank you for parting the sea and thank you for giving us water when we were thirsty at Mara and, and thank you for giving us manna when we were hungry, but things were still better, you know. We, we, had, we had food, we, um, you know, we were slaves, but we knew what to expect day in and day out. We were comfortable. We had stuff. We could just be ignorant and complacent, right? And that to them seemed better than, than the lesson God was trying to, trying to teach them. And I, I see that as us, or at least me, but I'm sure I'm not the only one, leading into this year, you know? Things are good and comfortable and nothing all that bad's going on in our lives or around us, and we could just live out our daily lives without any real complaints. And then, boom, COVID hits, and the world changes. And you know, I had to look up the definition of furlough this year. It's kind of embarrassing. I thought I knew what it meant. Anyways, that word ended up in my inbox too. Um, it, you know, is this my desert that I have to go through? Is this my famine? And I, I realized that my situation probably wasn't as worse as others. There's always going to be a, a worse situation out there, right? But have I become comfortable and materialistic and complacent and ignorant of what real problems are? answer is probably yes. So, uh, you know, I was only off work for a short while, but here's, here's the point. There's still uncertainty, and there's still troubles at home, and there's still work stuff, and the movie theaters are closed, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but this is my time to trust God, and, and what am I going to do? Am I going to trust that he's got a bigger plan? Am I going to trust that he's going to take care of me? Um, if I just trust him, can I, do, can I do that? Can I put my trust in him and, and just rely on the fact that God's probably going to take care of it? Or am I going to look to these false idols and false gods, you know, like, like we always use with the metaphor of Egypt? And, you know, that would be things like fear and, and, and anger. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of distractions we could throw in there. Of, what about my sports or... What about my uh, retirement plan or my American freedoms or, you know, I was, I was planning on getting a new car or whatever it is. All these things that we, we put higher up on the priority list as, as to what God wants for our lives, but maybe that's, maybe that's not it, right? Um, if I'm trusting in God and living my life in reverence of him, I'm going to be on the right side of things no matter what when his plan gets revealed, Right? So if the person that I want to end up in the White House doesn't get there, am I going to trust God regardless and trust that he's got a better plan and trust that, um, you know, he's the ultimate ruler of the free world and not, not whoever this person is in the White House? So anyways, I don't have enough time to, here to list them all, but there's, 
so many of God's people in the Bible that were in not very favorable positions that then God used that situation to bring out something divine and awesome to show how great of a God he is, right? And so, um, you know, we got stories like Joseph getting sold off to Egypt and ending up in jail, but he still continued to trust God for years and eventually ends up in charge of all of Egypt under Pharaoh. Um, Moses, he murders somebody and then he runs off and finds a good-looking gal to settle down with, but he's kind of living a loser-like life on a farm, just being a farmhand for 40 years, right? And when he's 80, God speaks to him, and he finally decides, I'm gonna, you know what, I will trust God. And because of that trust in God, you know, we get all these Egyptian, uh, the Israelites freed from Egyptian slavery. So there's lesson after lesson of trusting God in any situation, good and bad, and great things happening. So... I want to step back to earlier when I mentioned spiritual disciplines and being a Christian. Um, I think the Holy Spirit works the same and probably more through natural ways than supernatural ways, right? And if I reflect on that time earlier in my life, my adult life, and initial years of marriage, I can see where I'd hope that God would be part of my life through supernatural means. And what I mean by that, well, if finances are hard and marriage is tough and I have no real spiritual disciplines, then I'm just going to expect that God's going to work supernaturally on me and through me, right? I'm a Christian. He should. I, I memorized John 3.16, and I can remember a lot of the Bible stories from my youth, right? That should be good enough. Um, but no, what I've learned is that having these spiritual disciplines and in place provides a space for God in your life to, to fill, right? So we, we look at the time where Moses created a space for God by building the tabernacle. He created the space, God filled it. Uh, we get to Solomon, he does the same thing. He builds the Lord's temple, creates a space for God, God fills it, right? Now, thank Jesus, we don't have to do that. We've got a space in our hearts for God. Are we going to make space for him so he can fill it? Right, So we've got to provide that space for him in order to learn to trust him. But you know what's great, though, is that even though I don't have good disciplines or have that tight relationship with God, is, um, I'm thinking back to the, I think it was our second or third year of marriage, Karen, Nina, and I, are, things are not looking good, as they usually don't early on in marriage, right? And uh, I don't even remember how this happened. We got to a point to where it was so bad but we, and this is all kind of a blur to me, but somehow we ended up on our knees in front of the couch and we prayed and we never did anything like that, right? So we didn't have any good spiritual disciplines. Our relationship with God wasn't that tight, but we still reached out to him and in doing so, he got us through that, right? So what I'm saying is, is you don't have to have a long-term relationship with God in order for him to meet your needs in the time when you reach out to him, but it certainly does make things a lot easier if you get a good practice of that. Um, anyways, this December, we're going to celebrate 12 years of marriage, so it works, right? Yeah, for, thank you, yeah, for young punks like us, marriage is it's probably hard back then. It seems harder now, though, I don't know. <laughs> so let me go back to this three-minute testimony. Step three, what has my life been like since I've had Jesus in it? Well, there's more hope and joy and I can, in certainty, especially amidst a year like this year, um, but because I've made space for God leading into this year, he's, he's, he's helped make those good times better and those bad times more hopeful, right? And I was, I'm, I'm reading a book, I think it's by Eugene Peterson. It's called uh, uh, 
Oh, I forgot already. <laughs> it's, it's called a long obedience in the same direction. And that's, that's what this Christian life is, right? We're, we're on this path, and we're all in it together, and we're going in this one direction, and it's a whole lifelong journey of trying to figure it out, trying to learn to trust God, trying to figure out what spiritual disciplines work in our lives. Um, so to conclude, what are some ways that you can create some space in your life for God? What are some disciplines? Well, getting to the Word is necessary, but you know, we, need to, we need to constantly learn about the God we worship. So the Word is, is necessary. But just like I mentioned with McCain and Obama, I can read as much as I want about a person or these two people or God, but still not have a relationship with them, right? So we got to take it that step further of, of finding how we're going to get to know God better and creating the space for him to speak to us and so that we can learn to trust to him in him. And so for me, I'm still, I'm still learning, still trying different things. I'm sure many of you are too. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll put on some instrumental music, spend some time meditating that way, praying. Other times I'll do some prayer journaling. I never wanted to do journaling before. I thought it was just for women, but it actually is, it is really good, right? You know, that's, that's my little kid in me coming out. Um, but it's, it's great because you, you, as you're writing, you're, you're more intentional about what you're praying about, and uh, you put a lot more thought into it. You find yourself just, just kind of talking to God in that, in that moment, so... There's definitely something to that. Um, sometimes I'll take a verse or a paragraph and just meditate on it. And the great thing is we've got a lot of material in those 66 books of prayers and of laments and of, any, you name it, emotion, and you can find it in Psalms, right? And you can, you can kind of meditate on that. Um, and, and there's something amazing about that. And sometimes I'll even uh, drop the needle on some, spirit, or on some praise and worship music, right? So... There's, there's all kinds of ways to develop spiritual disciplines, and quick search of the internet will, will give you some, and, and, but I think the best thing is just having those conversations with everybody in here. Um, as, as Eric talked about accountability, we need to make sure that we're talking with one another. Hey, how's, how's, your, how's your walk? How's your disciplines? You know, Are you reading your Bible every day? If you're not, do it. If you are, what else are you doing, right? We need to learn to trust God in every situation, and the only way we're going to do that is by setting up these spiritual disciplines. And I promise you, if you create that space for God, he'll fill it, right? We see that all throughout the Bible, and we see it in all of our lives that when we, when we practice that, there's amazing things. So, uh, you know, 2020 has been kind of exciting in this area because we've got an opportunity to trust God in all this madness and trust that in some divine way his will will be done. And uh, that's it. I didn't go till 12, so you're welcome. As Jonathan was sharing, I was thinking, was God in the 400 years of silence? Of course he was. So God's in the good times and the bad times. But our nature is to only think that God is in the good times when we get what we want, right? So God was in it, and he's in everything that we're involved in right now. So um, we're going to wrap it up. This week, um, Friday and Saturday, we have the elders' retreat. So the elders will get together, and we will pray, we will worship, we will talk about where we are as a church, and... Um, you know, we had an idea back in January where we were as a church, the trajectory of us as a church, 
we had what we thought through uh, prayer that could be a good strategy for the church. And we had uh, PowerPoint presentations, and we talked about numerically where we are, financially where we are, vision where we are, and then COVID happened in February. And you look around, and some people are here, and some people are not here. And we have new people here, praise God. And we have a, um, kind of a new plan that we have to ask God what the rest of this year and next year might look like as we follow Him as a church, as we come alive as a church, as we walk in fellowship and uh, community together. So please be praying for the elders and leadership of the church this week as we, um, as we look forward to what MCF could be moving forward. 20, if, 20, if we're here in 2021, right? So um, if we're here in 2021, what this community, what's God's mission for this church? And then the question is, how will leadership and then how will the church participate in his plan for this community? Amen? And I have to say that because not only are, is leadership responsible for his plan for this community, but the congregation and the body of Christ is as well. And we just want to see little, um, a little bit of activation within all of us. So pray for us, and uh, we're going to run with it that way. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the stories and the testimonies of what you're doing within some of the leadership here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. I do pray that our minds would shift from have to to get to, from um, what 2020 is to the opportunity of what it um, has presented us. Help us um, stir up um, that communion with you, Father, so that we know how much you love us, so that we know um, how to be accountable to you and others. And just to trust your heart, Father. Father, help us this week to trust more than what we can put our hands on. To live by faith, not by sight. I ask that you would bring healing to our nation. Bring healing to our communities. And protect us from sickness, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.